Um, the first thing that jumped out at me mm-hmm. as I was studying. I'm oh. going. I'm just letting you know. I will. I will not be tied down to what sounds best. Yeah. I'm going to end up moving around, and I apologize to you. Okay. Yeah, but I creatively. This is a big issue when Judd did the podcast too. Yeah, he was not willing to be tied down. Yeah, no. <laughs> We're trying to tie you down. We're trying to tie you down. I've spent many years. It's like such a thing. I think I'm like is me like being like, what have I learned in therapy? Yeah. And it's that I'm like, I know he wants. I know I have to make. Uh, it's Paul Ruess, the sound engineer, yeah. is adjusting our microphones because he wants the best sound. Of course he does. But what Nick Kroll wants is the best humor. Exactly. Wants the and most. Both, both are completely fair agendas. But both are fair agendas, and we all creatively need our own agendas as we're doing things to make the best product. But at some point, I can't let Paul's agenda. Yeah, I know. And that's, that's why I'm now happy with where the microphone is. That is the voice of the great Nick Kroll. This is an this is a blast from the past. This is from about we recorded this about five years ago with Nick Kroll for my first podcast, which was called The Old Ones. Um, and people liked last week's episode of Working It Out so much with Nick Kroll that we decided to re-air the Old Ones episode because people uh, have dug that one over the years so much. It's got tons of fun stories. And uh, we go deep on Oh Hello. If you love Oh Hello, which is on Netflix, uh, I think you're going to love this one. In the last episode, we had that great, Nikki had that great uh, <laughs> F. Abraham story. And he's got a bunch of great stories today. Um, at the time, just to give context, I was preparing for the new one on Broadway, which is wild to think about since I just wrapped up Old Man in the Pool on Broadway. There is going to be some news. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Join the mailing list. Um, there's going to be some news about the old man and the pool. And also, I'm working on new material. Uh, I just announced some shows in Philadelphia. Um, I just announced an added show in Providence. Tickets might be gone by now, but if not, get them fast at the Columbus Theater. It's a gorgeous theater in Providence, Rhode Island. I'll be there with my brother, Joey Bag of Donuts. And my sister Gina and our producer Peter. We got a whole, we got a whole crew in Rhode Island. Um, in Indianapolis, there's still a few tickets left for Indianapolis, and we may add some shows in Philadelphia. So, join the mailing list. That's the way that you'll find out first. This is a very fun conversation with Nick Kroll. By the way, if you haven't seen History of the World Part Two, which is Nick Kroll's series. Um, you got to watch that. It's on Hulu. It's so good. Uh, enjoy my conversation with the great Nick Kroll. When you were casting mm-hmm. Oh Hello, mm-hmm. and you and A.B. Kaufman were just talking, like, who do we go out to for George? Sure. And you did you take out your Rolodex and say, like, what have I seen mm-hmm. John Mulaney in? Right. <laughs> well, because, like, so when I wrote, when I conceived of, <laughs> when I conceived of, wrote, created, <laughs> storyboarded. Yeah. Of oh, o- wow, you storyboarded, I storyboarded the, Oh, Hello? I storyboarded the, <laughs> the off-Broadway That's play, amazing. Oh, Hello. And I went to A.V. to cast it, obviously. Yeah. And she, um, maybe compliment if people don't know the joke yeah. is, is like casts like every great movie you've ever seen. And, and, um, and she was advocating, you know, for great actors, 
Yeah. Um, we went, there, Obviously, there was a big conversation about Alan Alda. <laughs> and, um, and I always had Peter Falk in my head. Sure. But he was dead. Dead. Um, yeah. So he was unavailable. Um, and then we, you know, and John, I, I, both of us have known John yep. for many, many years. Yeah. Uh, went to college Since together. All, yeah. Went to Georgetown together and, and have known forever. And and he, you know, I think he's he's now still best known for writing Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> so then I was like, you know what? This kid needs a break. He needs a break. Um, this is a guy who can't work. He can't work. And it was not clear from the and beginning. And he's nice. Yeah, and he was nice. And it's fake. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was clear that there was, that he needed a break. Um, and so I handed him. Yeah, I handed the role, him <laughs> what, they, what they call the role of a the, lifetime. Right, the role of the handed him the role of George Saint Geegland. Yeah, um, and then he made it his own. You know, he did his little things. He made his legs funny. Um, and then when you and did you ever consider a third actor, uh, a third Upper West Side Jewish <laughs> character? You, you know, you could have cast someone from your past, someone you improvised with over the years. Yeah, you've worked with a lot. Yeah, we were going to go to Brian Donovan for that. <laughs> <laughs> Another Georgetown uh, improv. Uh, I, was think, I was on the subway here, yeah. thinking, imagining what your response would be when yeah. I would essentially pitch myself as yeah. a third oh, hello oh, character. That's great. I love you it. You pitching mm-hmm. my college roommate, Brian Donovan, yeah, yeah. Who, who improvised with us. Mm-hmm. He's a great writer. Very funny writer. Uh, that's a great response. But John and I obviously have been doing Oh Hello forever together since the early days of our New York time. So long. So long. I mean, to the point where my confession to you would be, there were nights of seeing you guys do it at Rafifi mm-hmm. where I was kind of like, I don't even know if I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm laughing, but I'm not even quite sure why. And and then, like, when I saw the cherry— and I always liked it, and then I liked it on the television show. Mm-hmm. The Kroll Show. Thank applause. You. We'll mm-hmm. put in applause. And we'll put that in a we'll letter. Put, yeah, yeah. Um, I liked it there. When I saw it at the Cherry Lane, and I said this to you then, I'll say it to you again, and then I saw it on Broadway, same experience, I just, I have never laughed as hard in this theater, uh, ever, and ever, ever, you. I'll say a hundred times. And I don't know what it is from what you guys were doing downtown to when you moved to the Cherry Lane in the, in the Lyceum that made it so, like, so much more palpable as this experience. Like mm. a th- you made it a theater experience from something that was, I would say, like akin to like a sketch. Yes. Well, it started, we started at Rafifi. Um, we would host a, I was hosting a show, uh, a weekly stand-up show with Jesse Klein. Yeah. Um, the great Jesse Klein. The great Jesse Klein. And she then moved to L.A., uh, she got a writing job, and so I was like, "Well, I could hold. I I want to keep this slot." And you know, John had moved to the city at that point, and we. I was like, "Maybe he and I should do it together." And we started hosting it as these characters, which we had sort of seen these guys and had always just both been fascinated with, like old New York kind yeah. of dudes. Um, and it was then it was like Jiminy Glick. I mean, we were doing like Martin Short's Jiminy Glick was uh, had been on Comedy Central at that point. And Sasha Baron Cohen had started doing like Borat and Bruno and all those characters. Way to pull back from just saying Sasha. I, <laughs> I it was a, that was a good catch. It was yeah. like, and Sasha, and almost like this person 
we know, who I don't know. Oh, okay. But clearly you know him. But you almost said it like my Sasha, brother. My brother. Baron Cohen. Yeah, Timmy. yeah, yeah. My, you know, you know, and Joe Bags. And, uh, <laughs> um, but I think. Sasha but, Baron Cohen was doing something it, akin yes, to that. Yeah, and it was so, it was like, it was the idea where the character, the interviewer as the character is uh, the focus. No longer is the person being interviewed the focus. Yes. And so people would do stand-up. I'm sure you did the show as a stand-up and then had to be interviewed by us. And it was, I'm sure, very unpleasant for the people being interviewed. Oh, I thought it was really funny. Okay. I mean, I had yeah. to stop from laughing yeah, every it, time I did. But it, it was like, and we, and I think we hadn't quite figured. I mean, because we you still- were burning your interviewee. <laughs> yes, I mean, yes. you're burning me people would every come, time. People would come to do the, our show kindly. Right. You already a success, a big deal for us to have you on our show, and and then we would burn you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and but it was already so fun. And then we did them on Kroll Show, and we had started to be like, okay, that we'll put them in a place. And it was like either we did two versions of it, uh, you know, sort of the Woody Allen version of it, um, who I don't believe exists anymore. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> he's been. Stri- he's I been to laugh away from yeah, the microphone he, for that. He's been. Str- he's. Uh, he's been stricken from the record, right? I think the legal term is over. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. Well, and and even before all this. He was over. Or canceled. Yeah, he's canceled. Been canceled. That's what they say on Twitter. He's been days. socially canceled. That's what the kids say. Yeah, these days. he's been canceled. So he, um, it was sort of in that sort of space, filmic, old New York yeah. kind of vibe. And then we did the prank show, the Too Much Too Much, like cable access yeah. kind of show version of it. And people, I think, more related to that version of it. It felt aesthetically a little closer. And then it really, like, we finished the Kroll show and we were kind of. Uh, Mulaney was uh, finished. John John stopped doing Mulaney, the TV show. Oh, John okay. chose to end Mulaney, the TV show. Yeah, I think show. that's what happened. Yeah, John yeah. chose to end Mulaney, the TV show. And then we were both kind of hanging out and was sort of like, well, let's maybe there's something fun to do with Oh Hello. And it started as like a 10-page outline that we would do at UCB. And the first version of it was they were on trial <laughs> for um, uh, murder? Murder. Yeah. Literally, for uh, someone got too much tuned and had a heart attack and died. That's so funny. And so the <laughs> first version of it was us uh, in a courtroom defending ourselves to an unseen judge for why they shouldn't be convicted of murder. Okay. And it was like, because they like, <laughs> but the reason for why they weren't getting convicted was because they liked Steely Dan. Oh, that's ridiculous. And it was like so ridiculous. And and as the as we would kept, do, we did it like, I don't know, at UCB probably like six, seven times, each time figuring out being like, oh, it's not a trial, it's this. Oh, maybe it's this. And we would sort of each time add jokes that we liked that we'd improvised. And then we got, right before we got to the Cherry Lane, we had written some sort of script. We did it at UCB one, two nights in a row before we went to Cherry Lane where we were still not off book. And we wrote out what became a play. And I think what we eventually landed on was, a uh, oh, this is like a dissection of what we what we don't, what we love and don't love about plays. Wait, you... You're saying two nights before Cherry Lane had your script? Two nights before we got to Cherry Lane, yes, we had we had script. We had finally we had a finished script, which wasn't finished. I mean, it was you know shocking. And then just to take in how shocking that is, 
you were reviewed like two and a half weeks later by Ben Brantley, the yes. most you know, critical New York Times and powerful New York Times critic, who said that your play was better than David Mamet's play <laughs> on Broadway. And you had finished it like two weeks before. Yes. That's insane. It's insane. It was. Take that, take that in. Your parents and my parents came to an improv show you and I did in college. Yeah. And, uh. Yeah. No, they came to, even before the improv show, they came to the no show. Oh, they came to the sketch comedy show that we did. That you cast me in. Yeah. That I, I mean, now obviously it's been documented in so many places, (laughs) our history. (laughs) But we did the funniest act on campus. You won. I bombed. But you saw the tape of me. And remember, it was like, there was a whole controversy because the tape had tried, they tried to strike the tape from the record because some other. controversial. Because one other guy did the show, did stand up with like, they made a bunch of like racist jokes or something like that. I guess so. I didn't even see it. I never saw it either. Yeah. He made some offensive jokes that they were like, do not show the tape to anyone. I know. Yeah, it was weird. And then, but you saw my tape and you're like, he bombed, but I think there's something funny there. Oh, absolutely. And then it was, it was my girlfriend at the time, Maggie Kemper, who, uh, who who actually pointed it out to me? She mm. goes, "This guy Nick, you got to watch the tape. This guy Nick, he bombed, but in this way that I've never, <laughs> in this way I've never seen anyone pop. Like it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, and I watched the tape, and even on tape, which is a flat media, yeah, like yeah. it was really genuinely hilarious. Yeah, and then I like stalked you on campus." Well, Which, I came up to you before you had seen the tape because I heard that you had an improv group. Huh. And this was like, and I was like, hey, man, I want to join your improv yeah, group. Yeah. And you were like, it's like, it's like February. <laughs> like, you have to we, audition. Yeah. Like in September. Yeah. And I was, you know, again, when you don't know the process, you're like, I just want to do it. Like, I just like, let yeah. me do, let me sign do. Sign me up. Sign me up for what I want to do. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, you found me and you're like, we're doing the sketch show. Uh, yeah, and the I, no show. Yeah. The no show, and I auditioned for it, and and you, I think, I, I think both, and Brian Donovan, shout yep. out again, shout out to Brian Donovan. Yep. said was like, oh, I did not want to put you in that show. No, and he, you were, you were like, no, this guy, I think would be funny. Here's the big fight I had with Brian, and mm-hmm. Brian, I love, mm-hmm. uh, and is and is brilliant. Uh, he goes, this guy can't act, and that and that's a, actually is something that. I marvel at when I look at your career is like you're you're one of my favorite people to watch on the screen. Thank you. You're acting in everything I see is Thank phenomenal. You. It was not the case in college. <laughs> you had not found it as an <laughs> actor. Bad as and so I had to say to Brian Donovan, because he was the assistant director and I was the director, mm-hmm. I go, No, no, the the thing that you auditioned out, he was like, he can't act. And I was like, it doesn't matter. He's funny in his bones. Mm. If you're funny in your bones, if you're that funny, as funny as you were, you'll figure out the 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 skill. Yeah, I think acting is a skill. That's a personal take. I don't I don't know if yeah. other people feel well, that. Well, I think certain people are really like I think like acting might be a skill for smart people. I think there are dumb people who are great actors because they just are like, who am I? I'm this guy. Okay, bye. <laughs> Like versus like who are some of those people? Just name a few very <laughs> famous people. Who Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Daniel Day Kim. Big, big listener. Yeah, yeah. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Shout out to Dan, Dan Danny D, uh, DDL. Um, but I think so. For smart people, it is a skill where you're like, I need to learn how to do this. This is what I look like on camera. This is what I'm doing, and I need to like figure this out. But I do remember then getting cast, and 
I I feel like I don't have that many like movie moments in my life that I'm like, oh, that was that moment. Sure. But I remember Epiphanies. Yes. Yeah. I remember leaving that first read through probably at like Fosdick's apartment. Yeah. Reading a bunch of sketches like that you guys had already written for that show and reading a bunch of stuff and walking home being like, I think this is the thing I'm supposed to oh do. Oh my God, you've never told me that. Yeah. I love that. Like I had I really like was like, because I, I mean, you, I think you knew earlier on, like I've always liked and admired about you that you have like, you graduated college, you're like, I'm going to be a stand-up, I'm going to get an office, I'm going to go like do this. And you knew it. Like in college, you were like, I'm going to go, I'm going to win this thing, I'm going to go work at the at the DC Improv as the uh, d- at the door, and I'm going to MC, and I'm going to learn how to do this, I'm going to go to New York, and I'm going to like be a stand-up, and I'm going to go be on Letterman, yeah. I'm going to go to my, like... Strategic. You you just knew, like, you knew what you wanted to do, and you then have gone and accomplished those things. And I, before I had to, did comedy, before I did that sketch show, I was like, I think I'm, I don't know what I'm good at. I don't, I don't care about anything. Yeah. I'm just like a privileged guy who's like smart and charming enough to be fine at some I'll be I know I'll be fine at something. You also by the way were and this is a rare thing for comedians, you were popular. Like people <laughs> knew who you were on campus and like liked you before you were on stage. Oh, yeah, well, I think I was <laughs> that was my impression of it. Yeah, I mean, I think I was always kind of like I was kind of like I know how to like You like knew a lot of people I did, for I, college. I knew a lot of people. I did know a lot of people. Yeah. I've always known. I mean, I've I've always been like. But that was the thing is, I was you're like, a maven. I'm that's, a social. That's, that's what Malcolm Gladwell yes, would call you. I'm a, a maven. Yeah, I would call myself a a social animal. Yes. Um, which I I guess I still am, but it's whatever. I mean, like it's crazy to think how much how much we are who we were in college. Yeah. And and how we've. That's changed. what I always say to people about voting. I go to the perform at these yeah. stand up and vote. College shows where I try to encourage kids to register to vote, and I and I say, look, I'm 40, mm-hmm. you're about 20, you're gonna blink and be 40, and yeah. what you're voting for now is what you're gonna be living in in the future. Like I'm your future. Yeah, and that's how I feel about college. Like I remember it really well. Yeah. Well, I remember. That's why when you say the thing about walking back from Fosdick's, yeah, Chris Fosdick's, who was the who's the director who cast me in the Georgetown Players Improv Troupe, just to, to bring people up to speed, Chris Fosdick cast me. And actually, I should give credit, fair credit, Assistant Director James Murray yes. from Impractical Jokers. Yes. <clears throat> so, so weird. So yeah. weird that we were all there at a similar time. And then they cast me, and then I cast you, and then you cast John Mulaney. Yes. John Mulaney cast no one. John? John, <laughs> John Mulaney ended the chain of yeah. comedy. John Mulaney, John Mulaney cast sh- a shadow. He cast, the, he, cast a a, he cast a long shadow on the— Yeah. Well, um, when I came to Georgetown uh, a year after I graduated to do a workshop with you guys— Oh, and actually, sort of predating us was Owen, Owen Burr. Yes. He was there a few years before us. Yes. Um, in a separate— In a separate group. inversion of the improv group. But when I came back, and this will stick with me for the rest of my life, same thing as the, as the stand-up and vote stuff. It's like— I remember you saying to me, like, there's this guy, John Mulaney. Mm-hmm. It's, he's the funniest person I've ever met in my life. Mm-hmm. And you didn't, you weren't a hyperbolic communicator. You're, you just weren't someone who would say mm-hmm. that. And I was very suspicious of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? Yeah. He's the funniest person you've ever met. Like, what? And like, you, and you literally said he's funnier than both of us. Yeah. 
and I stand by that. Yeah, yeah, and of course he is. He's yeah. the funniest guy I know. Yeah. And but you had a real premonition about him. Yeah. What was it about him that made you just be knocked on your ass? I don't know. I think it was like, well, because I think like I think you and I knew we let we always liked each other, but there was like some version of competition of something, or at least like where I was like, who's like it sounds like it's in your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, it was like this feeling of, like, we're both funny. We both have an idea of how this should work. We get along. But also, like, you know, I think it was a mutual respect, but also, like, a healthy sort of, I don't know, competition not the right word, but it, whatever it was. And when John came— For the listeners at home, I, I, I made a film called Don't Think Twice. It's about an improv group where there's people competitive with each other, but it has nothing to do with yeah, this interview. Yeah, nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, and I didn't watch that film and feel any <laughs> any levels of familiarity about what any of it was. I called you the week it came out, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I, and and I'd offered you a part in the movie. You yeah, turned, yeah. You turned it down, but no, um, I was unavailable. <laughs> you also yeah. had the the name of the person you had offered it to before in the chain of the email. <laughs> that is not true. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, 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 I can show you the email. Unbelievable. I have it framed I, on my wall. No, I'm I was casting. Don't think twice. And I emailed the casting director, and I was in such a tizzy. And I said, I think Nick Kroll would be great. And I think he would do it because we're friends. Like, we're real friends from life. And then I emailed it to Nick Kroll. <laughs> it's like a classic. No, but there— and I CC'd you. You CC'd me on it, but— But even, it's a chain of, like, who else? Yes, yes, exactly. Who played that part. But, um, yeah. but, but so anyway, I, when I saw John— um, when we, John and I started working together at Georgetown, he was a freshman, and I was a senior. And I was like, I'm the senior. I'm the big man on right. campus now. But wait. But wait. And then I was like, and this dude was just writing jokes and coming up with stuff on the spot that I'm like, I can't even, you know, it's like, and I still feel that way. There's, I mean, I, by the way, I still feel like I watched your show. I watched a new one, and I was like, could I do this? And I was like, I could not do this. Huh. I could not do what you are doing in the in this show. I mean, there are a number of things that you do that I can't do, but like And I you. But I think it's like I watch your show and I'm like, wow, this is he you immediately start killing, and also you're immediately very revelatory, and you're immediately telling these stories that are incredibly related. What I love about this particular show is I was like, oh, I've never really heard much about what this first year of a child is like for a father and and the 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 connections and disconnections that one uh that a father feels amongst amongst a mother father and child i think it's taboo yeah i think that that was a lot of it was journal entries really that i couldn't say out loud right. or even tell anyone right because it's sort of taboo because it's so definitively the mother is doing so much. Yes, yeah. You can't be like, I'm doing some stuff. Yeah, too. Like, like it just, what about me? You just seem like such a jerk. Right. And so a lot of it was like journal entries that like after essentially two years or so, I was like, started showing to Jen and was like, I'm thinking about maybe saying some of this on stage. And then a lot of it was like her being like, actually what happened was this. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. me, and so she's a accredited writer on the show. A lot of it is a merge of our two perspectives sure. into what it became. So that's why to I appreciate the compliment. Like that's the goal was to say the things that people don't really talk about. Yeah. That happened in that first year. Right. And I think it's like and I again I've watched it throughout your career and, and specifically in the one person shows, which is like a level of self-revelation 
that I'm not comfortable, like I'm much more comfortable being Gunter yeah. or Gil Faison yeah, because yeah. I'm like, I don't want everybody to know what's going on. But what's so funny about Gil Faison is that there's, you it, you and John are in those characters. Oh, yeah. I mean, someone, I can't remember who described- They're goofball characters, but you're in there Well, somewhere. someone described it, it's like, it might, I can't remember who described it as like, it is, it does boil you and John down to things that who you really are, which is like that, Nick, you're a baby, and John, you're an asshole. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's fair. And both of us kind of were like, yeah, that's fair. Um, but I, but I had the same feeling about John freshman year. But then and then and then watching this last show again, I I will say there's so many things happening and 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 jokes and revelations and uh, just vibe happening in this show that I was like, I there's no way I could do this and that and I love it. Um, and I felt that way when we were in college about John, and I feel that way about you. And I feel that way about, it's crazy because things don't change, where I'm like, wow, there's stuff that Mike's doing that I can't do. And wow, there's stuff that John's doing that I can't do. And my instinct is to, like, be friends with those people. Yeah. And also- And do you think that that's how you ended up working with John, is because you were just like, I gotta work with this dude? I think so. I think it was like, I was like, there was a, there was a selfishness to it of being like, how do I work with this guy who comes up with stuff that I can't come up with? Um, and then I think it's just like I I I write and work better collaboratively. Yeah, I just find myself You're just like great at bouncing. I off. need yeah, I need to bounce off of. I like I write verbally. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't sit down very well and yeah. at a table and write stuff and yeah. and then put it up that night and it's good. I, I need to... You're an improviser in your soul. Like, I have to say, like, I text... There's the text chain that I had out on my phone, which was when I watched the Netflix version... By the way, the Oh Hello Netflix version is just called Oh Hello on Broadway and people should watch it if they, even if they've seen the live show because... It's great to watch again. And then Steve Martin so is funny. an amazing guest. Yeah, he's great. He's the he's the too much tuna, tuna. guest. And um, I, on the text chain to you and Nick, to you and John said, watching the Oh Hello special, this Steve Martin segment is the funniest fucking improv scene I've ever seen. Film, but I really feel that way. Uh. And then John wrote back, you obviously haven't seen TJ and Dave. Um, no, and he said, he, no, he, he, thank you. He's really nice and chill. And, uh, and I just pointed out how great the Kandinsky run is, yeah. the Lapina Gilles stuff. Yeah, yeah. The way Nick can't remember the name of the play. Yeah, can't remember the name oh of the play. God. Talking to Steve Martin, can't remember the name of his play. And then I wrote when Nick asked him his address, yeah, yeah. I lost my mind. It, there's this great moment if people haven't seen the special. I you you'll enjoy it also if you it's watch fine. again. But it's like there's a fake phone on stage and Steve takes the fake phone and he goes, Does this do Uber? <laughs> and it was like, man, that's why he's Steve Martin. So funny. Walks up on stage, middle of a full Broadway house, yeah. cameras everywhere, mm -hmm. improvises like the best Uber joke yeah. I've heard. Yeah. And then you and then he goes, should I type in my address? And then your character goes, what, what is your address? <laughs> and it, it, it killed me. Yeah, it's, it was very, that was the most fun thing about, there's so many fun things about doing the show. One of them was having a different guest every night and al almost always like one of our heroes. 
So just to go back quickly about college, we, we got very lucky in, in a weird college that you weren't supposed to do comedy at. And I think it was helpful for us. That That is actually some consolation if people are in college listening to this. Yeah. Don't worry if your school doesn't have a program for the arts. That's that strong. It doesn't matter. It actually is more about your friends yeah. than it is. It's like... If your buddies and you want to have a sketch comedy group, just do it. Yeah. If you there wasn't a sketch comedy group when I cast Nick, mm-hmm. we just decided we're gonna put on sketches. Yeah. And I assembled this group of people. You don't need, I mean, Georgetown, like, I think they support the arts more now. At the time, the support was like pretty, yeah. pretty weak. Yeah, the a cappella groups got a lot yes, of love and so money. Much. You and I host <laughs> you, know, we, we, you and I hosted. <laughs> Acapella festival together yeah. called the Cherry Tree Massacre. Yeah. Can you say what happened? Oh, I can. I, can. I don't know I, if I, you I can. I can say what happened. Yeah. We smoked pot beforehand. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the greatest performance mistakes <laughs> of my life. Yeah. I was like very used to and comfortable getting stoned and performing. And I don't think you, I don't think you were. It was in front of 700 people. <laughs> and Nick was like, in between acts, let's go smoke pot. And I was like, yeah, sure, that seems great. And then we went back on stage. And then I'm pretty sure we stared at the audience yeah. for 30 seconds silently. Yeah, you were wearing a bathrobe and a helmet. You got on <laughs> no, stage. You, are, no. you, you definitely put a bathrobe on are me. You like, this will be funny. Yeah, you were on stage in a bathrobe. I do not recall that. Yeah, that I do. That is terrible. I know. And we we were like it was not we were not built together to do uh be stoned on stage in that front of 700 my, people at an acapella that was fest. my audition for oh hello and <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't get it you nailed it yeah that's crazy i don't remember the bathroom part but i completely believe you because i remember staring at the audience mm-hmm. and having that moment where you realize you're on stage yes going Oh my God! I'm on stage. I have to talk. They're yeah. waiting for me to talk. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. was waiting for them to talk. <laughs> no, they weren't going to talk. They were well behaved. But it, but all those weird shows were helpful in that. By the time we graduated, because there were not many other people doing what we were doing there, we just had a ton of stage time. That by the time we got to New York, it was like, oh, we've been on stage for hundreds of people a number of times. A lot. I mean, our improv group used to perform at like. It like in dormitory common rooms. Yeah, I mean the things that we, the places we would perform would be not real performance spaces. Yeah, but uh, like as long as you're on, as long as you're on some version of a stage with like, yeah, people watching, it makes it better. It makes it better, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, well, what, to answer my question from earlier, like, when did you turn? When did you become such a good actor? Like, was there, like, if I were to recall, when I think, what I would guess mm-hmm. would be when you were on that caveman sitcom. Early, I, it was early in your career. Yeah. And you worked like crazy hours. You had to be in makeup for hours. Yeah. It was so hard. But then after that, you actually seemed like a better actor. Well, I think I had done, you know, we all have these like different trajectories and stuff. So like you guys were, you. I think you were immediately working as a stand-up. Like you were making a living. You were touring. around the country. Yeah, right? just doing that. I, because I was sort of always like, I'm kind of doing stand-up, but I was kind of doing characters, and I didn't have, I wasn't confident that I could go to, like, another city that wasn't, like, downtown New York and do well, that I was sort of like, I'm going to audition for commercials and radio voiceovers and stuff like that. And so my, my, many of my first acting jobs were just, like, commercials, like, just doing, like, a 
you know. You were in tons of them. I had a I had a good run of them. Yeah. And, and I so all I, the rest of our improv group at the time after we graduated from Georgetown, we were mm-hmm. in a group called Little Man. Mm-hmm. That performed at the UCB Theater. Mm-hmm. Owen Burke was kind enough as the director at the time. Yes. The artistic director to put us in there. And <laughs> this is sort of Don't Think Twicey, mm-hmm. is that you actually would book all of these commercials and none of us would ever book anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was like that was my skill set is I had I could fake confidence. I would go into commercial auditions and whatever product it was, they would be like, slate your name. And I go, hi, I'm Pepsi's Nick Kroll. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a it's a full false confidence charisma play, which made people think like, oh, this guy. And it was because I took a commercial acting class, and they were like, you should, um, you should sort of make it your own. Make it your own. Yeah, yeah. And that was like, uh, once I learned that, I was like, oh, okay, I'll make it my own. And so I got, I was able. That to, is good advice, by the way. It is. Good it is advice. like tell, like do what you want until someone tells you to do it like the way that they wanted it to yeah. do. Um, so I, I was able to book some commercials, so I got comfortable on camera. And but the first couple commercials, I was telling my niece and nephew this last night was. I had my first couple commercials was like a Lipton cup of soup ad that it was like an a camping 3 p.m. slump. It was like they were trying to give you the idea of like, don't drink coffee at three, like have Lipton cup of soup. And it was a 30 second spot straight to camera, 30 second monologue. And I can still remember the camera focusing in on me. Like I can remember the iris of the lens like wow. closing on me because I couldn't get the copy. I was freaking out. I was. Yeah. I would I've had that freeze oh every gosh. take. Terrifying. Every take. And I would eventually then, and I finally got it. And then I shot another commercial for like an MTV promo. And it, it was playing like a big weird character. And again, it was like a 30-second monologue straight to camera. And I couldn't get the lines right. And I went to my therapist and I was like, I'm, I just, I'm freezing. I can't figure this out. And he told me a piece of advice that I really, really still use uh, and think about which was he's like, you just need to like acknowledge your fear. Yeah, that's you, smart. And it's like just be like, and every time I've ever done anything new since then, I'm just like, remember the first time I did talk shows, anything like that, I'd be like, okay, I'm scared right now. Yeah. And then you're like, on oh. camera, would you say? No, I'd say it to myself, yeah. like, you know, when you're about to like do a talk show and you're behind that curtain. Oh, I hate it. And it's like, and they're like, someone's like, you know, he's like the star of the uh, new Broadway show, new one. And like, on Broadway starting uh, October yeah, 24th yeah. at the Court Theater. Pretty good, right, by the way? Oh, that's so, nice. Well and, done. Uh, he, you know him, you love him. He's going to be Mike Birbiglia. And you're like backstage. And they're about, and like a teamster's about to, or like yeah. a union guy's about to open a curtain. You're like, <laughs> you're like, shit, okay, I've got to do this joke, then that joke, then that joke. And I, like, he's going to ask me here. And like, you're just kind of freaking out. And I was just like, just acknowledge that you're scared right now. I like that. I'm going to use that for the next few weeks. Do it. That's I, great. I find it to be very helpful. So that you're just like, okay, I'm scared. And that's, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, I'm scared. That's fine. Yeah. I, I can still do my job, but that's what that's what was making me freeze. Yeah, that I wasn't acknowledging what was going on, which was that I'm scared. I'm on TV. I'm shooting a commercial. Everyone's waiting for me to get this right. But it's also then you're like, well, empirical evidence has shown that I have succeeded at this, 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 and this. Yeah, and so like I can be scared, but also be aware that like. Everything, not everything, for sure, not everything, but like so many of the things that I've worked on and cared about, and 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 have had people come out to see and talk about in this way, that it's going to work. Yeah, 
which is I would which is what I would say to you about new one. Which you is know that, what makes me feel better about your about my show is that you that your show you wrote two days before <laughs> you started. No, <laughs> that's like outrageous. Well, we not, not I know that you didn't write it yeah. then, but like that you had the final script then is hilarious. Well, so me. we had the final script then off Broadway, which then changed and evolved on the twenty five shows off Broadway, I'm sure it did, and yeah. then we toured it. And, Mine did too, by the way. Yeah, we did. I did six weeks of the Cherry Lane, and we every night was different. Yeah. And you just yeah. keep polishing. And that's the fun thing about, yeah. I think, about life. A run. A run yeah. is that you just keep, like, changing and polishing yeah, yeah. and tweaking and adding and subtracting. And, yeah. Um, and I find really useful, um, which which I think is which is helpful. Oh, uh, as far Ooh. as the acting, sorry, just to finish that off. Oh, yeah. But then I went and did Caveman, which was a nightmare of a job because it was four hours of makeup every morning. But... Uh, but I learned how to act. You just get to do it every day yeah. for like four months. I think that was the turning point. I, I know that seems like silly to think about because that show is sort of silly. Yeah. But like, but I think you became great after that. Well, you like, just get to be on camera every day. And yeah. you're like... It doesn't mean anything anymore. No, and you're just like, oh, I need to... And again, it's, it's the same thing as like managing everyone's different agendas where it's like, oh, I can't move because the sound guy told me he needs to boom me from this. And I'm like, yeah. and then and then like two episodes later being like, no, I, I need to listen to the sound guy and I need to make sure that he gets what he needs, but also I can move and I can just like figure You're out. You're finding move, it for yourself. Finding for myself. You gave me a piece of advice a few nights before uh, I shot Don't Think Twice. We were having a drink and I was like, I'm really nervous about this, this fucking movie. Mm -hmm. And... These, you know, the long days, you work 12, 14, 16 hour days sometimes yeah. on indie films. And, uh, and you just said, oh, you always have to remember with movies when I think I, I'm going to mess up the quote, but it's like when the, when the day is over, the day will be over. That day is done or that yeah, e yeah. every day finishes. Yeah, every day finishes. And, and I actually ended up repeating that to Keegan and Gillian mm -hmm. and a lot of the, Cast and crew, I would say Nick was saying, my buddy Nick was saying to me this uh, thing recently about movies, and it's true, and it's true of all things. Yeah. No matter how wild or crazy a day is, at the end of the day, the day will be done. It's over, and then and then you have to do it again the next day, but you're like, you have those, every job I've ever had, you have that feeling of like, this is never going to end. It's like, no, it will end. It will end. This day will end. Yeah. Crazy to me. The, the two day locking the script two days before was so interesting to me because it's like the thing that's amazing to me about the show is that it's it's silly in the way that I think like Kids in the Hall is mm -hmm. or like Monty Python is. Mm -hmm. And like I almost think what makes the show so special is that like the same way like Monty Python is friends, Kids in the Hall is friends, you and you and John are friends, like like there's something that you don't even have to communicate to the audience mm -hmm. that's in the sort of essence of the show. Yeah. And I feel, I'm feel i curious, like, how do you lock that down and bring the discipline of off-Broadway or Broadway theater to something that's so silly and unmanageable? I think, um, 
I think in the case what we what we discovered early on, even before we started doing it live like we were doing, but then as soon as we started doing live shows and and you know at UCB and then eventually off Broadway was that people were like, it just looks like you two are having a lot of fun together. Yeah, and I think that was something that we so you know in most shows when you get to Broadway, you like you shouldn't be breaking, you shouldn't be laughing, and in general, I think like we've all like learned it's okay to enjoy yourself. But, like, it's not that fun eventually watching people, like, break all the time. Yeah, it feels yeah. like it's cheating. Yeah. But on this show, we were both like, no, it's okay. It's like, it's it, that that's a part of this dynamic yeah. is that people want to see two guys who are friends with each other enjoy one another on stage. And sometimes that means we're going to break and screw around you with each other. You break in the special with the, with the underneath the, yes, the yes, nails, yeah, your yeah, fingernails. Yeah. Is that improvised or is that something that had happened before? That was improvised like that week. And then you were like, let's just put that yeah, in the special. Let's it's just, so good. And because it, it was still very – because I was literally – it's like we're holding hands, and I start I start putting my fingernails oh my in God. between. No, it's and he goes, so gross. he's like putting your fingernails in between my <laughs> in, your fingers in between my nails and my fingy oh meat. Oh my God! And and it so I'm doing something. I am doing something purposefully to him. Yeah. <laughs> to make him uncomfortable. Oh my God! Because it's hard to dislodge John. Yeah. And that was and that was an effective way. So it was still very fun to us. Um. And it's an important part of that dynamic, which was like, no, we're going to fuck with each other and we're going to make ourselves a little slightly uncomfortable with one another and did it'll be fun. You, did you ever have nights where like you were the way friends are, like at each other's throats about something off stage, and then you're like, okay, now we got to do the show. Um, for the most part, we did not have that. I mean, we had a few nights where we were like tired or stressed. I mean, we had a few shows where we both didn't like the audience. Oh, yeah. And like, and that's the thing for you. You're on stage alone, alone. Yeah, and yeah, you're yeah. like, I don't have anyone to commiserate with. There's nothing with. I can do. There's nothing I can do to give side eye to someone to be like, this, yeah, yeah. these motherfuckers, <laughs> yeah, yeah, these yeah. fucking idiots. But we would have it with each other. And so we could then to collectively together, like give each other a little like knowing look and or start fucking with the audience. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Which is like knowing that you had a partner in that to me, made it so much more fun. And that's the beauty of having being a stand-up or being having a show that you've written. Um, one of the things that I we wanted to do in our show that I think you are successfully doing as well is I think plays are embarrassing. I think it's embarrassing to be on stage and pretend that you're in a Chinese restaurant in 1948 and everyone in the crowd's like, it's 2018. <laughs> yeah. Like... So as stand-ups or writer performers, we have this advantage where it's like we're doing this thing on stage, but we're presenting it directly to you. Yeah. And something, if a fire alarm goes off, I can acknowledge of it. Of course, yeah. If there's a kid in the front row, I know I'm going to, I can mention that. Yeah. I can make you feel like whatever is happening in this room today is happening specifically in this room today. Yeah. And, and I watched you do it. And some of those are, are tricks and, you know, you know, uh, uh, magic tricks that we do. Um, and then some of it is truly happening on that day in that moment. And I think like, again, you, you do such a good job of getting that audience on board for what is happening in that room in that moment. Um, cause I do think one of the things I learned early, early on is like audiences just want to feel like you're in control. 
Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. And I think you do that so masterfully. Oh, and, and people are just then immediately can relax and be like, oh, okay, great. Like, let him take us where he wants to take us. I'm really glad. It's so funny we're doing this for broadcast. But the truth is, like, it's really helpful as a friend that yeah. we're having this conversation today. Well, it's such a, we're, we're so, um, we're so lucky that we have come through all this together and gotten to do all these different things and be able to uh, comfort and advise one another as we have navigated this weird long career of things. Um, and it's very rare that that people get to do that with each other, that you, you meet someone at a young age and you stay friends with them and you get to help and advise and support because um, not everybody has that. Yeah, know? I think that's right. Um, I think that's a nice, uh, nice thing to, to a uh, nice sentiment to go out on, and and uh, I thank you for uh, for for helping me and doing me this great favor. Please, I'm very excited. I can't wait for more people to see your show. It's going to be great. Thanks, man. All right, bud. All right. Thanks for listening. The Old Ones is produced by myself along with Joseph Berbiglia, Peter Salomone, Johnny Levin. Sound mixed by Kate Polinsky. Music by Roger Neal. You might know him from uh, the music of Don't Think Twice. Special thanks to Mike Berkowitz, Isaac Dunham, Steve Wilson, and all our friends at Apple Podcasts. Interview recorded by Paul Ruest at Argo Studios in New York City. My biggest thanks to Nick Kroll, who is a baby. And now we know it. See you next time.